This week on the Jay Doherty Podcast, a look back at the recent shootings in Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas. What is the Trump administration doing to combat these types of attacks? Also, the Dow Jones Industrial Average plummets alongside both national and world markets after China devaluates its currency. And music expert and TJDP chief entertainment correspondent Michael Heidemann will join us to talk about the Lollapalooza music event here in Chicago. All of that and more on episode 96 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. Well, hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. It is Tuesday, August 6th, 2019, 1.16 p.m. right now. My name is Jay Doherty, thank you for tuning in. A lot of news happening, uh, a lot of sad news that recently happened. Uh, there have been two consecutive mass shootings over the weekend in El Paso, Texas, and uh, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, at least combined, 30 people were killed. Uh, the numbers even go higher. Uh, so at least 31 people were killed over the weekend in mass shootings. Um, 22 people were killed in, in El Paso, uh, and that shooting took place on Saturday. Police said they found uh, an anti-immigrant manifesto that was uh, in that document, uh, reiterating a lot of the president's rhetoric um, and just uh, accentuating more white nationalist and racist views, uh, which have either been quoted or some people believe they have been written by the suspect, the person who um, uh, who uh, has been you know who's being looked at as a suspect in this, who's basically confirmed to be uh, the. Uh, criminal. Now, what's unclear at this moment is whether or not this criminal will face hate crime charges uh, or just be charged with the standard, uh, you know, um, murder charges that one would uh, also get. In Dayton, there was another shooting in which nine people were killed, and that was in the Oregon district of Dayton, Ohio. That suspect is dead. And uh, it's it's been a tough week, a big week though for the president. I must say, he did some stuff. Of course, his administration is traditionally all talk, no action uh, on on positive things specifically, and even on negative things. But that's a whole other conversation. He formally condemned on the stage of the White House white supremacy, and he reiterated those messages many times. Um, he talked a lot about it. There was a lot of response, additionally, from local leadership. Um, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has been making his name, putting his name in the headlines a lot recently. Of course, Beto O'Rourke, uh, well, not only him, but um, a lot of pre- other presidential candidates have chosen to take this as a moment to uh, boost their name and put it out there, uh, but because Beto O'Rourke uh, used to represent El Paso as a congressman, as uh, he uh, took this special opportunity to uh, call that out, saying that Trump's uh, rhetoric is not welcome here, don't come to El Paso, and so many other things. Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley, that's N-A-N space Whaley, she's a female, she's going to meet with Trump when he um, comes to Dayton, he's going to be there this week, 
Um, and she is a Democrat. She says uh, his rhetoric has been painful for many in the community. She also said that she's uh, not happy with his remarks that he made just yesterday on Monday. Now, uh, to be honest, I think his remarks in that in that speech were the most liberal remarks he has ever made in the history of his presidency and maybe his life. Well, not his life. He used to be a Democrat, but potentially his life. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if these or I'm sorry, potentially his presidency. I don't think there's anything at least more arguably liberal that he has said in terms of policy or otherwise uh, than this speech. Now, of course, that's a pretty low bar for the president, but still something. He formally condemned white supremacy, and in fact, the White House, I just got an email from the press people over at the White House, mass emails, not like I'm special or anything, but they sent it out, and uh, <clears throat> they reiterated the vice president's remarks, they reiterated the president's remarks, and they just wanted to boost now that this administration, after they failed to do it for so long, they now formally condemn white supremacy. The shooter in El Paso posted a manifesto online consumed by racist hate. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry Here it is. and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. So that's his remarks there. Now, of course, he didn't back down on his policy-wise, as he never does, mostly because he doesn't even know what's going on in terms of policy. Um, he just basically, um, you know, said that it's, it's sick people, it's people with mental health issues. I'll talk about what I mean in that and going back to interviews I've done in the past with experts on this, what they had to say. Uh, Mike Pence is also uh, just echoing the president, what he says, as vice presidents normally do. But this, pres this vice president, in my opinion, has really just copied a lot of uh, what the president has said, like, directly, almost like the same words. Uh, I attended a, a uh, press event, thanks to my good friend Noah Heisinga-Giesen, uh, who invited me uh, to a Turning Point USA event. That's a very conservative group. Uh, they had the vice president actually come speak in Chicago at this event. Uh, I did, it was kind of a while back, a couple months ago. And the speech that Pence gave, of course, that's, a, you know, the rotation speech. That's what you give. Um, he, it was very, very similar in terms of the rhetoric, the delivery, the everything to Donald Trump. And even if you compare that to the way Pence used to speak as governor of Indiana, it was a little bit different and just a little bit more aggressive. He had a lot of oomph in his speech. In fact, he said the same words as the president, not that they're bad or anything or they're, you know, uh, written poorly. Pence said, sinister ideologies of racism, bigotry, and white supremacy must be defeated. That's exactly what you just heard in that clip. The president will be traveling to Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso, Texas. They leave tomorrow. They'll be there tomorrow. Uh, Mike Pence or Donald Trump, they did not announce anything specifically on what they, you know, uh, are going to personally act on to make this better. They have proposed uh, things relating to the internet, they want to um, monitor internet chat rooms and things like that, make sure that the internet, you know, people uh, cannot be uh, nudged in the wrong direction uh, or 
just radically converted on the internet. Uh, so that's that's that aspect of it. Um, basically, the heavier regulation. That's funny that I'm using Republicans and heavy regulation in the same sentence, but they want to uh, increase regulation on internet chat rooms to prevent the radicalization of people uh, in on the internet and in chat rooms. It's not just the president that's combating this. Other 2020 candidates have done the same. For example, Pete Buttigieg, who was on just a, such a high streak of, you know, so great doing everything. Uh, going on all these interviews, speaking at events. I met him. The, I, I've attended and watched his events. He was on such a high streak for about two or three weeks. He kind of went down. He's still popular. Still has tons of money. He's, he racked in so much when he was just so smart. He still is smart. He's doing a lot of things. He actually announced right after these shootings occurred a plan, his plan to combat gun violence. He wants to dedicate one billion dollars, billion with a B, to law enforcement around the country. And he also wants to increase the FBI's field staff by investing, reinvesting in the Department of Homeland Security. He also wants to establish universal background checks and close loopholes. Um, and also he wants to ban assault weapons on high-capacity magazines and support red flag laws and a nationwide gun licensing system. Trump actually said that he wants to support red flag laws as well. For example, the uh, uh, another shooter in a mass shooting, uh, he... His background check took more than three days to complete, and because he should not have been allowed to buy a gun, uh, I think by law, it might have just been, a I don't know if it was a mistake, or I'm not sure exactly what the deal was, but there was some loophole in which uh, he was able to buy a gun when he shouldn't have been. And then he also uh, wanted, and then also uh, echoing the same messages of the presidents and the general uh, American public, he wants to shut down hate groups like 8chan. That's a copy of 4chan, uh, which is, they're both internet chat rooms that uh, have been responsible for providing a platform for mass shooters to strategize on this. They're cracking down, supposedly, that's what they said in a press release, but we'll see what happens. Uh, so, just to recap exactly what happened. In El Paso, there was a gunman. He walked in. He shot 22 people. And his name, he's been identified as a 21-year-old. Uh, potentially, it was a hate crime. No one knows. Uh, that's why, because due to the fact that no one knows, this is a white man. There's been a lot of previous attacks that have been in the nature of race and uh, white nationalism. Uh, Trump, of course... Said these things. That's why you didn't know. He didn't know, and and, and it has been confirmed that there is a manifesto, uh, in in you know that he had a racist anti-immigrant document. That was quote a nexus to a potential hate crime, according to the police. Uh, the four-page document was posted online. I don't know if it was leaked or how it was put on there, or at least made public to the general, uh, you know population, it is just, it boosts white nationalist and racist views, um, and 
who knows? This guy could be facing a lot of stuff. There could be federal charges. Um, they might bring a federal hate crime charge on him, federal firearm charges, in addition to the many state charges, also capital murder. Uh, so, uh, he, you know, he could be in serious trouble, even face the death penalty. So that's El Paso. In Dayton, nine people were killed in a shooting in the Oregon district of Dayton. The shooting suspect is dead. Uh, the On the news conference, uh, Dayton Police Chief Richard Beal said they're, quote, not close enough to finding a motive. He stressed that officials had not gone through all the evidence yet, but still noted they have not seen anything to suggest that race was a motive Race was a motive in the shooting. He also said that nothing in his record suggested that he could or could not have owned a firearm. Let me say there's nothing in this individual's uh, history or record that would have precluded him from purchasing that firearm. So that's a little bit concerning, but also maybe he was just radicalized. There was nothing there, and that's just what happened. You know, I mean, that, 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 that's a legitimate uh, concern. You know, what if, what if he was just, you know, turned insane? Or had had these thoughts, but never acted on it, and then did. So, I, there needs to be radical reform. And the problem, in my opinion, and the problem in many opinions of others, is guns. Like, I mean, the okay, so the argument, of course, that people say, uh, and there's actually a really good article in Politico that Politico wrote on this, uh, articulating the, the uh, defenses of both parties, the people in each party, uh, and I'm going to read this, quote, quote, word by word. Politico says, Democrats decry an action on gun regulation. They blame the NRA and the gun lobby and claim that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, put it on, or sorry, uh, let's see here. They blame the NRA and the gun lobby uh, and claim, as Speaker House as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi put it Sunday morning, the Republican Senate's continued inaction dishonors our solemn duty to protect innocent men, women, and children and, uh, and uh, end this epidemic once and for all. Republicans, and this is in that same article, counter that gun laws aren't the problem and that mental illnesses lead to gun violence. In the immediate aftermath of mass killings, shooters frequently are branded as social mit- misfits, thus people who know Patrick Crucisus, and uh, that I know I'm not saying that correctly, but it doesn't, they, he doesn't even have, doesn't deserve his name to be read anyway, so uh, this man, he's the alleged perpetrator of the carnage in El Paso, describes him as a, quote, quiet antisocial, and a bit strange. People say that guns don't kill people. People kill people. Well, right, okay, I understand that logic. I mean, people kill people, just like you use a computer, uh, or you click a mouse, the mouse is controlling the computer, but you're using a tool to control the computer. So, you know, when you click a mouse, you're using a mouse, right? But you're doing something on the computer, and, and, and it's not, you could do a lot of things. You could you could click it, you could move it around, you could click different buttons. It, and I know this sounds insane, like what I'm saying, but if you're given a tool, you know, I mean, the, the problem is guns, because these are mass shootings. You don't, you're not killing people with your bare hands in, in here, and that's not the problem. The problem is shootings with guns. And I think it's a terrible argument, very outdated, and proven time and time again that guns are the problem. And it's not necessary in these mass shooting contexts. It is totally legal guns generally that are the problem. Larger legal guns, but in the domestic cases like Chicago, where I live, it's all illegal guns, and that's just because you know people uh, in Indiana who can legally buy guns. 
buy tons of guns, mass hundreds of guns, and then they sell them for about 20 bucks more and uh, ship them down here to Chicago, make a $2 profit on each gun for 100 guns, that's 200, and then you do 1,000 guns, that's 2,000, and then you do 200,000 guns, and that's $200,000. And the problem is also that <laughs> the gangs in Chicago have more guns than the police. And that's just Chicago. So it all comes back from these Republican states like Mississippi and others. They sell guns to Indiana. Indiana sells guns to Chicago. Chicago sells guns to people who use guns in Chicago. And that's what happens. Patrick Kennedy is a big advocate on this. I interviewed him at one point. Anytime anyone makes this argument, I always just refer them back to my interview in which he says this. There's the same percentage of people with mental illness in our country as in every other country in the world. There's the same percentage of mental health providers in our country as in every other country in the world. The only thing that's different between the United States, Australia, Latin America, Europe, Great Britain, is that we have guns. In our country. Yeah. And that's so it. So it's not about mental illness. Yeah. You can hear my little uh, baby voice back then. But yeah, that's the case. That is literally the case. It is not that these people have mental health. Uh, while they might have mental health issues, if they didn't have access to a gun or as easy of access to a gun or even access to things that would continue to distort their already distorted image of the world, then they wouldn't do things like this, right? That's the case. I mean, that's just simply the case. You can get, I mean, even if you chose not to get help for some reason, you still had a gun. You still, you know, use it. It could be a combination of both. I'm not saying that mental health problems do not exist. Of course they exist. They're very prevalent. But, uh, you know, the gun is the thing that's the problem at the end of the day. And I think their logic can just be so easily used against them. It's kind of amusing. Anyway, uh, I, I'm so sorry to all the people who had the families of these victims and the victims. And I, I, my uh, condolences, of course, as always. Uh, yeah. You know what I also found interesting? Trump actually, uh, for the first time, said uh, his condolences personally to the head of Mexico, the president of Mexico, President Obrador, he said this. Let's see if I can get the fine channel here. Oh, technical difficulties, and we're live. Do we have it now? It looks like we do. Today, we also send the condolences of our nation to President Obrador of Mexico and all the people of Mexico for the loss of their citizens in the El Paso shooting. So that's what he said. Uh, he said Mexico, Mexico, the, the, the country that he claimed they would pay for the wall, they didn't. He continues to threaten them, uh, you know, with deporting their citizens and just doing a lot of stuff that is not exactly the uh, music to the Mexican government's ears, saying bad things, saying they're going to deport, saying they're rapists, saying they're all these killers, they're all everything. And he says, oh, well, I want to send my condolences. I don't think it's, I think it's a little bit, obviously human life surpasses everything, but I'm just saying it's a little bit hypocritical, especially in that very direct delivery, although I don't know any other way to say it, and I'm sure... Uh, 
it was necessary. So while it was bad, and it's not bad just for you saying that, it needed to be said, but it's bad because of the record that you held before it. Uh, so, you know, that's my little take on that, uh, on that shooting uh, and those shootings there and how the Trump administration responded to it. I hope there is decisive action taken on gun legislation and that these families can grieve uh, and, and do so with support from their employers and their family members as well. All right, 20 minutes in. Let's uh, switch topics here to the economy. Trump administration on Monday said that China was a currency manipulator. That's after the country's central bank allowed its currency to weaken, devalue itself, amid the ongoing trade dispute. Trump said on Twitter, and this is uh, this this devaluation came hours after Trump said on Twitter that China and Beijing and their actions about depreciating their currency have quote been used to steal or sorry have been used to quote steal our businesses and factories, hurt our jobs, depress our workers' wages, and harm our farmers' prices. Not anymore. And then he gets whammed back with the devaluation of currency. The Dow drops 950 points and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it, they were terrible. Now, stock market bled a lot. It's recuperating right now. I have my multi-monitor, uh, let's see, uh, array here with hundreds and hundreds of monitors here displaying every single stock market there is in the world. That's a joke. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 1.17% at 26,019.66. That is up... 301.92 points. Yesterday, it dropped a whopping 3%, 950 points at one point. 950 points. World markets still took a hit, though, because Japan's market is at 2585.31, down 134.98, and that is 0.65%. That's down. The Hang Seng market in Hong Kong, down almost a half a percent at 2602.5.41, down 125.91. Not a bad hit. Not super bad. Uh, neither of these are super bad, to be honest. Not as bad as the ones yesterday. I mean, the Dow was almost down 3% yesterday. Uh, but other markets like the FTC 100 in London and the DAX market in Germany also took a hit because uh, Germany actually went down uh, about 0.8% at 11.567.96. That's down 90.55. And the London FTSE 100 market uh, at 71.71.69, down 0.72% at 52.16. So not, not great. And the Dow, the stocks in general are still doing all right, actually pretty good in 2019, uh, not as good as they were doing before, I will say, to be fair, though, uh, so that's, that's the case there, the Dow has been up 11.42%, uh, in all of 2019, NASDAQ up about 20%, and the S&P 500 about 15%, uh, just in 2019 alone, so not doing terrible, but that's the case, uh, right there, um, and, you know, I, the Dow was talked about so much, but the NASDAQ, the, the composite index of the, Na uh, the, sorry, the NASDAQ composite index was the one that really needed to be looked at. It almost went 3% down, and if you don't know, NASDAQ uh, trades a lot of the technology stocks, uh, because, and, and this was evident, their losses were quite evident. Companies like Apple uh, and microchip manufacturers like uh, Qualcomm and others, 
with a lot of exposure, some of the key sales being driven from China, they were hit the hardest. In fact, Apple was hit pretty hard. They recuperated and got back. They're currently trading at 196.91. That's up 1.85%, uh, going up and down from there. In fact, they just hit one uh, 96.94, and they're just changing, going up and down, but still staying in that same range. Uh, they were hit very hard, uh, but now they're back. They ble- Everything pretty much bled a lot, and now they put a Band-Aid and somehow got the blood back in. Uh, so we're okay today. It was terrible yesterday. It was terrible the day before, or I guess it was bad the day before, and then it became terrible, and now it's better again. The reason these losses came is because uh, China allowed their yuan, their uh, their currency there, to uh, go down past a key level against the U.S. dollar, uh, which Trump says is a, quote, major violation. So this move, this letting, I mean, China's government letting this slip see, is seen as a worsening move. Uh, that is already making, that has worse than the already bad economic relationship the United States and China have. Uh, one that stock investors have been watching closely in the recent months because literally China has such a big threat to the economy, not just the economy, they have such a huge threat to the United States hegemony in my opinion. The United States has the most hegemonic oversight of the whole entire world and that could be crippled at any moment not not completely crippled, but it could be it could take a huge hit by China at any moment. In fact, uh, I'm looking here at the best militaries in the world. Of course, the United States is the strongest military. Uh, but if we look here at... Uh, so the United States, the budget for the United States military is $601 billion. There's uh, 1.4 million active frontline personnel, 8,848 uh, tanks, and uh, about 14,000 aircraft, 72 submarines. Uh, China has $216 billion in budget, 2.3 million active personnel for frontline, that's, I mean, the United States has 1.4, so take that into context, they have almost 10,000 tanks, and uh, 2,860 aircrafts, as well as 67 submarines. And their military, it's not like they've been like this for a while and they're just steadily growing. Their military has grown so rapidly, both in terms of size and capabilities, and in terms of raw manpower, it is by far the largest military in the world. And it also is the second largest tank fleet behind Russia, uh, and also the second largest uh, submarine fleet behind the United States. That's according to Business Insider. So... I mean, like, the United States, while it is a spectacular country, while also the richest country, uh, it, it still has its weaknesses and it could be cut off any day. You can't get too cocky, and I think that's a, that's a uh, thing that the United States, uh, especially Republicans, do. They take so much pride in being Americans, uh, not that that's bad per se, but uh, they, that they don't even, you know, think that they could ever be better than and not that we will be, I think there's easy ways to get out of this, but the GDP of China in, uh, let's see here, um, in 1992 was uh, $426.9 billion. That's 1992, ladies and gentlemen. In 2004, it was almost $2 trillion, and now it is $12 trillion. 
So they have grown by $11 trillion in 11 years after having very little growth for the past, I don't know, 40 years. So you got to be careful. Now, I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, the United States has had steadier growth, I would say. Uh, of course, they lost a lot of money in 2008 with the Great Recession. The United States GDP is gross domestic product, of course, $19.39 trillion as of 2017. Uh, 2008, China was almost as rich as the United States after this fallout. In fact, at one point, they were richer than the United States in terms of GDP. $5.1 trillion in U.S. dollars as of 2009. And the United States was $14.42 trillion. So the China was a little bit richer than us yeah, at one point in 2011 in terms of gross domestic product. It's a lot of fine print there, but still. That's the case. Combine that with, I mean, they have so much power, they owe so much to us. Our debt is, I mean, $23 trillion almost, and much of it is owed back to China. I mean, they could wage war on us and then also demand all their money back if they wanted to. Now, they wouldn't do that, but they could. During these crashes, the S&P 500 fell 2.98%. At 2844.74, the DJIA, or Dow Jones Industrial Average, declined 2.9% to 25622.81, and the NASDAQ slid 3.47% to 7726.04. And uh, those are just the U.S. markets. The FTSE 100, which right now is down 0.72%, fell 2.47% to 7223.85. And then also the Eurostox 50, which is actually doing all right today. Uh, it went up 0.17% at 33.16.43. Is uh, went down point one point one sorry 1.8% at 33.15.30. So basically, the moral of the story is down yesterday. It's up today. Hopefully, it gets better, and that's the end of it. I mean, it's really just the president's rhetoric. Uh, China, as Trump says, takes advantage of us because we're stupid. We are stupid. Trump is stupid, and he thinks he's not stupid, which is a very dangerous thing. Uh, so, you know. Trump just has to realize he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Negotiate correctly, stop his rhetoric, and everything would be fine. And maybe maybe get a little bit more liberal on his policy. I would recommend that. Uh, just a little bit. And uh, Democrats would be more happy. They wouldn't be satisfied or content, to say the least, but they would be happy. They would be happier than they already are. You know, this weekend was uh, the world-renowned Lollapalooza. Big scam, in my opinion. But it brings a lot of money into the city. I suppose that's good. It's good for the economy, but total waste of time, money, uh, and effort. I I mean, it's really just terrible in every way, in my my very humble opinion. Uh, But... It's a big, huge boost economically, and uh, I don't follow music at all. Maybe that's why I hate it so much, uh, but, I mean, other, there's tons of other reasons. In fact, actually, no, I know I don't hate it because of the music, because I don't really care. I could listen to the music on a disc. Um, not that that is my philosophy as to why not to go, because I could be hit so hard back on that. Of course, I, I understand there's an experience with a concert and all that stuff. I'm just not into that, and I don't think it's a good use of time, money, effort, energy, or resources, which is why I do not attend. But someone, I sent someone out there to attend for me. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. He's already going. His name is Michael Heideman. He's the TJDP, the J. Doherty Podcast, chief entertainment correspondent, and uh, covers a lot of the music stuff here in Chicago. He went out there, strolled down to Lollapalooza, 
and before he did that, we talked about not only Lollapalooza, but also the recent Pitchfork Music Festival that happened here in Chicago. We talked about all the stuff that uh, we that he did there. He came in our fine studios here to talk about all of that and more. Here is my interview with Michael. Coming up on the Jay Doherty Podcast, music expert and TJDP chief entertainment correspondent Michael Heideman joins us live to discuss the recent Pitchfork Music Festival here in Chicago. Mike also gives us insight into his future experience at the internationally renowned Lollapalooza, which includes stars like Childish Gambino this is America. and Ariana Grande. I don't know what any of this means, but Mike will tell us all about it on the next episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. That's correct, ladies and gentlemen. It is the next episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast, and Michael Heidemann is here. He is our chief entertainment correspondent. He got a uh, promotion. He used to be the chief media correspondent, or sorry, chief music correspondent, but he has since been promoted. Michael, thank you for joining me here. Jay, it's a total pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Oh, yeah. Well, I hope to have you on regularly or semi-regularly because I know you offer such a great insight into the music business, and uh, you host a podcast, or many podcasts, right, or shows or whatever, uh, media formats about uh, the uh, music business. Isn't that right? Yes, I do. You can find me and all of my ponderings at Sound Sessions Podcast. You can search that online. It's also found on WGNRadio.com. And you can see me at Two Dudes, One Disc, which is an album review show I do as well. That's also a Facebook Live show as well. And then we're starting this new thing called Brews and Bands. Yeah, I saw. And that's a web series that is about, is once a month we put out new episodes. We've already had people like White Mystery, uh, Christina Cotone from the band Honey in the 45s. We're going to get Josie Dunn and Ryan Cheverini on the next few episodes. So check them out too. That is awesome. I saw there's a video uh, version of that one that I watched. Uh, very cool and very well produced and great questions by you, of course. Uh, I want to talk about, though, Pitchfork. Now, I am um, excruciatingly unaware of the music business. I know nothing about it. I don't know really. I don't really keep up with the big stars, but I'm told that Pitchfork Music Festival uh, was pretty good all around. Uh, I don't know the stars, so I couldn't judge it myself, which is why I have you here. Who do you think the big... The big, uh, the big names were there, and did they perform as well as uh, many people expected? You know, Pitchfork is an interesting thing, Jay, and I know you are very in tune with the music. You're being uh, humble. I don't know. You're I don't being know about humble, that. but I appreciate that because you're uh, <laughs> you're setting the stage to make me sound like I know more than I do. But um, there's a lot of great music down at Pitchfork. It's it's Chicago's staple now. I mean, Pitchfork started here in the city, and they put on this music festival every single year. There's usually three days. And this is a different kind of music festival because it's a little bit more low-key. It's more relaxed. It's yeah. more of a family environment. You want to lay down a picnic blanket and, and eat a snack with your with your loved ones right. <laughs> at Pitchfork. And this also celebrates more of the indie artist. So as opposed to something like Lollapalooza or South by Southwest, when it's all headliners, this is your time to see music that you wouldn't even you wouldn't usually think about. You wouldn't you know pen through the the MTV vlogs or watch MTV on 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 television right. or see them on cable. You know these are the bands that you kind of need to go in depth with the, the kind of things that aren't on your radar just yet. But it's a great festival nonetheless. The people who put it on are amazing. Uh, this year's headliners were Haim, the Three Sisters. Uh, think about them as like. Madonna meets rock and roll and guitar solos. Of course, we had Chicago's Mavis Staples, who is the premier 
like bluesy, just hardcore, classic, classic blues uh, soul sound. She's she's amazing. She she definitely did not disappoint. I didn't think I'd ever see her before she passed away, mm-hmm. and I, that's very morbid of me to say. And I, and I apologize to Mavis and her people, but it's like she's such a legend. Yeah, like, you know, you only know her by name, and to see her perform and just blow this crowd away with her amazing gravelly, just powerful voice was a really cool thing. Of course, there's other bands that were that were throughout the um, festival, the Isley Brothers, who despite a little bit of rain during the day, w- were able to perform for their 60th anniversary. Bell and Sebastian Stereo Lab on Sunday. This would have been my day to go to, but then again, with the mud and everything, kind of put up yeah, a little Yeah, I know, I saw. Gates were closed two of the days this year, which is, you know, not surprising. For some reason, Pitchfork seems to bring the rain. I don't know if it's because of all the indie acts. Maybe they're doing a rain dance behind the stage. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, like, you know, some band uh, brought a rain stick, maybe, and yeah. they used it because <laughs> their music is very indie. Right. But Robin and Charlie XCX played on Sunday, and that would have been a great, great dance party, along with Chicago's Whitney as well, a great rock band. So lots of great bands. If I would say, if you want to check out some bands that maybe not, that won't be on your radar, and right. they won't be... Like on the forefront of music, mm-hmm. go and check out Earl Sweatshirt. There's uh, bands like Sky Fiera, who, uh, who oh, man, I, I love her sound. And she had a big hit about two or three years ago that, that uh, really caught on, and she's still performing, which is amazing. Some of the uh, Kurt Vile, of course, Parquet Courts, who had a great year last year and then were able to showcase some of their music at uh, on the Pitchfork stage as well. It was awesome. Snail Mail was a great band too, and it was just a good time. And and yeah, it's a good thing to bring to Chicago. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's what you want out of a music festival, I suppose. And uh, is I, really, I looked at the list, and I know you mentioned Charlie XCX. Uh, I actually, I don't even know what she performs in, but I know I've seen that name somewhere. And to be honest, that was the only name that I recognized. So I think what you were saying about you know discovering new bands uh, there is certainly like something that uh, I think. It's a great platform for new bands, new artists, and new people to promote themselves. Do you think you saw a lot of that there? Do you think the bands were taking advantage of that side of the business of music festivals? Well, you know, it's it's interesting you say that because how do you how does a band even approach that nowadays? Right, right, right. Uh, bands like Haim, who really shocked me at their the quality of their performance, they're like you know. I guess I could relate them to early Blink-182. They were joking on stage between sets. They like, they made it fun. It was a very genuine performance. And they said that this was their first headlining performance. So seeing that and bringing the crowd into you know their own persona and feeling like you were a part of the show was a really great way to connect with your with the fans. But you're exactly right. They Pitchfork is the ultimate when it comes to connecting with your fans because we they have this chirp record fair that uh, that showcases. All these amazing, amazing pieces of vinyl that you can buy, and underneath the tent they have other record companies and uh, you know places that you'd want to buy new kind of swag, T-shirts, uh, fanny packs. Wow. They have it all. But That's the, great. the bands go in there and do record signings sometimes, so it's a great way to meet oh. the, pan- the bands you've been listening to for years, uh, right person to person, get them, get them to sign some stuff. That's really awesome. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna move on to Lollapalooza, but before we do that. Best person you saw there, number one. Who's the best? Uh, my brother Adam. Oh, he, really? He was, uh, yeah, he was. He was. He was yeah. really loving it out, wearing his shorts and his and his sunglasses. He he was my favorite. Okay. Oh, did uh, you mean music? Yes, I did. On yeah, I oh, Okay. Did. Well, Adam did sing a few songs. So, oh, okay. I mean, that was pretty uh, on stage talent. Unless on he ran onto the stage. <laughs> so actually, 
uh, I was I was only there for Friday. We got a lot uh-huh. of coverage of, of most days, but on Friday it was it was a cool just experience to see Mavis Staples. I mean, I was most enthralled by her. Like I couldn't turn away for during her set because she was really really just a cool great voice. Everything was different. Of course, I saw Haim as well, and and they were pretty amazing as well. But um, I, I saw Pusha T for a little bit too. Oh, very cool. And he looked very very tired. It was a mm. really hot day. We're talking eighties, yeah. and if you're in if you you're it's eighty degrees outside in Chicago heat, and you're sitting underneath that light wrapping. Right. I I'd be tired too. So he had a big old beach towel that he was wiping his head with, and then at the end of the show, it's like, hey, we're we gonna do an encore or something. Right. Nah, he just he just walked up the stage. I think he took a nap after that. Uh, well, I wouldn't be surprised. Mavis Staples performed seven twenty five on. Friday, and I'm sure there's some sort of video or snippets of video of her performing, so we'll link that at the website, jay-dohert.com. The other huge music festival that's internationally renowned, perhaps more well-known than Pitchfork, is Lollapalooza. Uh, from what I've seen, and this is very little, the the general consensus is, in terms of comparisons to years past, and I'm just saying this because I don't know anything, it, there, there's been a bigger list or a longer list of Top headlining, big number one, top charts performers. Is that true? Is is there are there not as many this year? Uh, what what's the general consensus in the music community about this uh, big festival? Well, this is this is the Goliath when it comes to music yeah. festivals. And you've never been, Jay? I've never been. Oh, you maybe one day. Yeah, because I know you're a big EDM guy. Oh so uh, yeah, this is kind yeah. of your place to be. They have a they have a whole stage, Perry stage, that showcases the greatest EDM artists from across the country and the world. Uh, I saw Antwoord there one time, and it was one of the craziest shows I think I've ever seen in my entire cool. life. Um, but it, it's a—it's obviously a Goliath of a festival. They expanded it from three days to four days here right. in Chicago. It takes over the entirety of Grant Park, which, as you know, is a, a local Chicagoan, is about a mile long. We're spanning a few darn enormous blocks. Right, so, right. So yes, this is a, this is the premier festival when it comes to Chicago music and and the world. Uh, as far as headliners go. It's it's hard to say what music is bringing to the culture at the moment yeah. because we have so many festivals. We're getting so oversaturated with these with these bands and everything. And and I read uh, in an article that Lollapalooza's ticket sales were slowing this year, but despite that, you know it, they're staying pretty strong because you um, you know now it's such a business model mm-hmm. that it's more so about making money and making a return rather than finding good good artists to yeah to I know perform. so. There's the typical artist that you'd see. Uh, one amazing highlight uh, that I need to add is the Strokes are coming back for this oh, year's right, Lollapalooza. Yeah. And they haven't toured in quite some time. And it actually broke recently from their manager that they might be putting out new music. Which, mm. to any Strokes fan, is the greatest news. Because they haven't put in a, uh, out an album in a few years. Wow. But that's Thursday, August 1st, Strokes and the Chainsmokers, who I know you're a big fan of, Jay. Uh, one of the, these guys climbed so fast and so high so quickly mm-hmm. that I don't even know if they can even handle it themselves. They kind of brought this the party party dude atmosphere to EDM music. Yeah. Which, I'm, uh, you know what, now that I say that, I think that all EDM artists are party dudes. <laughs> but yeah. the Chainsmokers are playing. 
Hosier is on, on Thursday as well. Friday night's headliners, Childish Gambino and Tame Impala. Yep. Saturday, 21 Pilots and Jay Balvin. Hey, do you know who Jay Balvin is? Uh, I've heard the name, I think, but I don't I don't know. Remind me. See, this is... Well, I don't, I'm not sure. Okay, this, well. This is the problem about beginning, getting old, Jay. You start to ah. see these lists and you, and you start not being able to recognize bands. Now, Saturday, 21 Pilots, amazing group that's... Oh, uh, I know from, them, yeah. Yeah, from Columbus, Ohio. They, they put on an amazing set every single time, mixture of rap and... And just plain old rock music. Little Wayne is that night. Tenacious D, uh, R.L. Grime, so many great artists. And then on Sunday closes out with Ariana Grande, Flume, and my personal favorite, who I'm a, I adore, and I can't wait to see country music singer Casey Musgraves. Oh so, yeah, I've heard it's a that good lineup. Very cool. You know what I do see on this fine schedule here is something that I'm actually kind of surprised about. Uh, in the VIP Lala Lounge at uh, 2 p.m. Music from the cast of Hamilton will be there. Is that it? Yeah, I know. I, I, I didn't even see that just till really? now. Do you have a connection for tickets, Jay? Uh, I do not know that. Oh, not I'd that love I to know. see that. Uh, but um, it seems like the big headliners are later at night, at like 8.45, 9 o'clock, for example, uh, like Childish Gambino's 8.45 to 10 on Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you mentioned, a couple other ones, like 21 Pilots and our old grind. Oh, man, way past my bedtime. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, well, especially because Mike produces for WGN Radio, as I said, and he, um, he he produces Steve Cochran, which starts at 6 a.m. What time do you get to the station that's normally? The, that's the toughest part about trying to be a music guy and needing to yeah. go to these concerts and needing to wake up. I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning Ooh. I on a good day. Let's, let's not, not a go good too day, far. Okay. And then I get there around 5 o'clock to prep the show. You know, I, set, I put together the script, the rundown, and... And do all my production duties before the show starts at 6 uh, a.m. sharp. But um, the interesting thing is there are so many great art, great acts coming through Chicago. And granted, yeah. we're very spoiled because unlike um, you know people who are coming from out of town or out of state to see the show, it's literally down my block. And right. But I need to get in bed before uh, uh, you know at a at a, at a good delightful right, right. time because I don't want Steve to get mad at me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a great time. If there's one band that I'd say that you need to stay up late for all those old fogies like me, go and check out the Strokes. They Who knows when they're going to be playing again. Hopefully all right. Hopefully we'll after this. That's great advice. Thank you, Michael. You can find Mike uh, on michaelheideman.com. He hosts the Sound Sessions podcast. Uh, you want to plug any of your socials or any other things that you're trying to promote to the general public? Absolutely. And thanks again, Jay. Like, oh, yeah. The, the main thing that um, I love, I love speaking to your listeners I get flooded with emails who say that they listen to your show they really? say we, we love Jay's show and I'm like I'm like they stop me on the street sometimes they go hey I loved you on Jay's podcast <laughs> I'm like I'm like oh thanks man yeah, I'll be on there again Very you can good. check me out at wgnradio.com search Michael Heideman search sound sessions I'm at Arthur Fonzarelli on sound on, on Instagram don't ask me about the name uh, identity <laughs> it's, theft? Just, it's just it's ridiculous. oh yes it's not a it is a crime yes. um, you can check me out there uh, but if you want to just reach out to me directly, you can find me at, at Mike Heideman on Twitter. And, you know, just uh, just say hey at a show. I'm also playing all over the city as Michael J. Foxy. Uh, Michael J. Foxy has your code name. All over the place, yeah. All right. Thank you, Michael. Michael Heideman is in our studio, the TJDP chief uh, entertainment correspondent. Sunday, July 28, 2019 at 452. Thank you, Mike, for being here. That's my interview with Michael Heideman. I'm sorry to cut that music off there. I'm 47 minutes into this episode right here. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or anything of 
that sort. The number is 312 We're doing a special episode for the J. Doherty Podcast, episode number 100, where I take your questions live and on demand on this fine podcast. The J. Doherty Podcast is celebrating its 100th episode in a very special way. Tune in live on August 3rd, 2019 for a special live Q&A about behind-the-scenes production, politics, and anything you want. Call right now with your questions at 312-625-8492. The line is open for calls and texts 24-7, and I'll be answering all of the questions live right here on the J. Doherty Podcast. Tune in live and submit your questions before Saturday, August 3rd, 2019 at 1 p.m. Call or text 312-625-8492. You with your questions. You're listening to the Jay Doherty Podcast on the JD Media Network. For all the latest world and national news on technology, politics, and more, listen live to the Jay Doherty Podcast on j-doherty.com. All right, that's it. Yeah, that's a promo. I want to make a correction, though. Oh, well, that's the next promo uh, for the live stream. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, we're streaming live. Forgot to mention when I came back. But uh, that is the promo. There was a mistake. It was not supposed to be August 3rd. It had to be rescheduled for a multitude of unrelated reasons. Uh, we're on 96, so it'll be next weekend, next Saturday. Today is Tuesday. Mark your calendars. Call in live, or you can text 24-7-312-625-8492. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find me on social media pretty much uh, everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, uh, what else? You can subscribe to my email list, JD Media Network. We send out emails weekly about the uh, most recent news, technology, and politics as covered on the J. Doherty Podcast. I also do a podcast called the JDRC Politics Podcast with my uh, fellow male associate, Ryan Clark. Uh, We host that podcast uh, semi-weekly now. Uh, We started it, um, and... We're continuing to do it. So if you want to listen to that, it's jdrcpolitics.com. Or you can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all the rest. All your favorite podcast directories, we are there. And if we're not, let us know. Thank you so much for listening. We're about 50 minutes into this podcast, episode 151 p.m., Tuesday, August 6th, 2019. Thank you for listening.